you guys were on our last sermon for the Vineyard Initiative teaching series. It's been seven weeks, counting this week's, where we've talked about basically spiritual disciplines, things that we need to know and then take our faith and put it in action. So do in order to be effective in this thing called discipleship. If you want to make disciples, um, you need to know these things. You need to be able to do them. There's seasons of your life where you're going to need to press into more this one than that one, but these are things you need to know. They're hardwired into your spiritual DNA, but if you're not keeping your eyes open for these things and being um, aware of when you need to act on them, you could miss an opportunity to like lead someone into the kingdom, pray for someone and see them healed, um, make that next just leap in your faith. We need to be aware of what God's doing. And a disciple, right, becomes a disciple the minute they put their faith in Jesus. And that's where it all starts. You just asking God, come into my life, be my savior, be my Lord. That's salvation. If you've ever prayed that prayer, if you want to pray that prayer today, you're in, you're good. But the only other thing is you got to proclaim it as well. It's not enough to just believe in your heart quietly in the corner. You need to proclaim, you need to declare, I have given my life to Jesus. I serve him. I worship him. I will tell the world about him. And these seven spiritual disciplines are ways that you demonstrate to people, not just with words, but action. I belong to God. And as someone who belongs to God, I receive things from the Lord with the right spirit, a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit of this is God's and not mine. People will come up to me on uh, Sunday, probably, we'll see, if they come up to me today and say, that was a great sermon. It was not my sermon. Those were not my words. Um, man, that was a great touchdown you made last week. Well, that was God that gave me the strength. We receive from the Lord and we give glory to the Lord. That's spiritual discipline number one. Spiritual discipline number two is if God's given you something, you protect it. You know, you should know. If you half-heartedly proclaim your faith in Jesus and then never really tell anybody about it, the devil is going to come and he's going to snatch any conviction you may have had that you were saved from you. And you're going to wander around the first couple of years of your faith walk wondering, am I even saved? You've got to protect your salvation. You've got to protect the gifts that God gives you. The illustration I like to use, but it's so much more than that. But if somebody gave you a brand new car, you're not going to park it with the keys in it and the doors unlocked, with the engine running, and leave it outside all night long. And yet we do that. God gives us these amazing gifts and talents, and we just, just disregard them. You want to be a disciple. You want to be effective. You want to be a disciplined faith person of faith. You receive well. You protect well. You remove stumbling blocks from your life. You plant God's word in your heart. If you've taken nothing from this series, take that. Read your Bible. 10, 20, 30 minutes in this book with you and Jesus alone, you will get more out of that than any sermon that I could ever put together. Um, disciples build their faith. We never stop growing. We never stop stepping out in faith, praying, being willing to suffer for the gospel is something we need to be willing to do. We talked about that last week. And today, the final spiritual discipline, it's innocuous, it's subtle, but it may well be the hardest one. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to learn to wait on God. And if you're not good at waiting, if you're not good with patience, that's okay. You can learn it. He will help you if you ask, but you and I need to learn how to wait on God because God is a God of seasons, right? He's the God of winter, spring, summer, fall. He's the God of planting, which doesn't occur just by putting a seed in the ground and the next day you've got a beanstalk into the sky. It takes time for things to cultivate and do their business underground and then grow up and sprout and blossom and flower. And then after a season, after a year sometimes, then you've got some fruit. And you can't rush crops. I can't plant a field of wheat and then show up the next day and curse the ground because wheat's not there. It's going to take time. And it's the same with us as people. I can't rush you guys into faith. You can't rush the Lord into answering your prayers because God's a God of seasons. How would you feel if you woke up tomorrow and you had superhuman strength? Anybody like that? Would that be pretty awesome? I think that'd be pretty cool. How would you feel if tomorrow morning when you woke up, you knew everything there was to know about life? You just, like Solomon, he prays, and the next day God is like, you're the wisest man in the whole world. Didn't earn it, just asked for it, but all of a sudden he knows everything about everything. That's pretty cool. 
How would you feel if tomorrow you woke up? No more money problems. You just woke up and there's this $10 million stacked next to your bed. Would anybody enjoy that? But do you know that if any one of those three things actually happened to you tomorrow, that they would hurt you? And you would hurt other people as a result of it. If you woke up tomorrow with superhuman strength and didn't know how to use it, you would hurt people. You would hurt yourself. You'd probably hurt your house, right? If you woke up tomorrow and you just knew everything, you would be proud in a matter of a month. You would be alone in a matter of a month, right? Nobody would be able to relate to you. You'd be so smart. You'd know what people were going to say before they did. It'd be a lonely thing. If you woke up tomorrow and you had $10 million that you didn't earn or work for or know how to appreciate, it would destroy your life. You look at the stats. You got those people standing there for the photo op holding the big check. I just won $70 million. And they're like, yay. You go talk to those people a year later. Their lives were ruined because every relative that they knew they had and didn't know they had, all they see them for now is a free check. Strangers call lottery winners in the middle of the night. Very convincing. And maybe they mean it. If you don't wire a million dollars to this account, I'm going to kill somebody tomorrow, and it's going to be on your conscience. I'm going to kill myself. Like, that's the kind of stuff they deal with when they're plastered all over the news as somebody that just got $70 million, and everybody's looking at them as a free meal ticket. They have to change their names. they got to change their number. they got to distance themselves from their whole family because they got this big windfall, and they didn't earn it. They don't know how to work for it. They don't know how to appreciate it. It's just too much at once. God doesn't want to hurt us by letting those things happen to us, because they do, they hurt us. Um, he's a God of seasons. He's gonna walk us through these things. He's gonna teach you to appreciate it, to enjoy it, to use it well. Our spiritual disciplines come from Isaiah chapter five, verses one and two. Everything you need to know about being a disciple is in the seven verbs in here. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones, he planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower, he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and then he waited. He waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. Um, we don't like waiting. We're not great at patience, especially in this age. I guarantee, I can't guarantee because I don't know, but I'm pretty sure this is the hardest generation to cultivate patience in the history of the world. I mean, if I want to buy Brooke something, I, just, I could literally get on my phone right now and buy her something and have it delivered tomorrow. I could order pizzas right now from this stage and they'd be here before we walked out of the room. I could take a picture of you and put it on social media and everybody know that you were at church today in an instant. I mean, the world is at our fingertips. If I wanna know the answer to basically any question, I can get online and just Google and there it is. It's so hard to be patient in this day and age where we just have everything all at once. So knowing that and predating that, what do you think the hardest response to any question you'll ever ask is to hear? What's the hardest thing it is for us as human beings to hear when we ask a question? Later. No. no. It's both of those things. I had two questions, you answered both. Well done. The hardest, yeah, you could clap for him. I would, I did. The hardest thing to hear when we ask a question is no. Who wants to hear that? No, I don't want to hear no. But the second hardest is not yet. Can I go to the movies? Not yet, you got to clean your room. Can I go do this? Not yet. Can I go do this? No, you got three more years of school. Not yet, right? It's the hardest thing we have to hear. I mean, wouldn't you love to just wake up tomorrow and not have to go to school ever again? Yeah, of course you would. I used to dream about it. When school was over, I'd still dream about it. I'd have nightmares that I was you at school. And I'm just like, this is horrible. But if you don't finish school, you're going to have regrets. The enemy's going to use it to mess with you. Um, you will have not only missed out on some valuable information, but just learning how you learn. I didn't learn that I was a visual learner until I was finishing college. And I didn't even finish college. But that's valuable stuff happening in our lives under the, under the radar subconsciously that if we just leapfrog and be impatient and just take things before we're ready for them, we miss out on some key happenings, some key gleanings. Um, let's do a little interactive. 
Does anybody in here have a dream job? Like you just, this is what I want to do. What do you got, Olivia? What's it? A veterinarian. That's an awesome job. What do you got? A forensic scientist. I will see you on NCYS, whatever it's called. A neurosurgeon. What do you got? Film? I'm going to be film when I grow up. That's amazing. I can't wait to see what that looks like. A marine biologist. Super cool. Joshua? Imagineer. What do you got? A zoologist. Lots of animal lovers in here. Astronaut. My boy. Going to Mars. Psychologist. In the back. I saw a hand. I would love for you to be a CIA agent too, and then I'm going to have you keep track of all the students that don't come to church. An accountant, so exciting. Numbers, my nemesis. What do you got, Josie? A music therapist. You guys, yeah, we got dreams. We got hopes for this life. Can anybody tell me what my dream job is? What? That's right. My dream job is this job right now that I have today, being a student pastor. But not just a student pastor, student pastor at Wood's Edge, which means... My dream job is not just being the student pastor at Wood's Edge, it's being your student pastor. That is my dream. I hope that speaks to you. It speaks to me. Um, this dream came to me when I first came on staff at this church almost 10 years ago. And I was in student ministry and I was leading the student ministry for Tomball, a church plant that we had at one time that's no longer there. And then when that church plant, it, didn't, it wasn't successful in any area except for students. I started with two and Brooke and I working together, we ended up with 50 or 60. It was awesome. Um, but they had to close the doors of that church. And when that happened, they moved us to come and, well, me paid Brooke as glorified volunteer. What's up, girl? Um, they moved us to this campus, which is where we always wanted to be anyway. And I was the junior high pastor. And then I was the student pastor in charge of missions. And then I became the co-lead. So I led the student ministry with my friend Kent. And we led together. But he'd been here longer and he had more seniority. So we're leading together, but I wasn't the lead student pastor, but somewhere along those three or so years that all those things happened, I felt the Lord say to me, one day you will lead the Woods Edge student ministry. And it's a hard thing to hear because I'm like, well, what about Kent? And it's also a hard thing because I'm like, when? When do I get to be the leader? I'm co-leading with Kent now, but it's kind of like 49% 51, like he still was the main shot caller. And we were different guys. We had different ideas. I mean, I had lots of different ideas. I would wake up at three in the morning back in the day, and I would just be filled with what could small groups look like? How could we make disciples in the student ministry? How can we serve more? How, what, what's this thing I keep on thinking about where we're going to have this night of worship, which would eventually become one night? Like, what kind of themes can I do for freedom? And I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I would just write these things down like a madman. God was filling me. God was leading me. But I wasn't the leader. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for most of those three years, for my opportunity to lead the student ministry. But it just never seemed to come. And then the financial crisis happens, right? The Great Recession, back in 06, 07, whenever it was. And when that happened, a lot of your families and families in this area started losing jobs left and right. And when those people lost their job, they lost their income. When they lost their income, they were no longer able to tithe or give offerings. And so the church got hurt too, and we started to feel it. And we had just moved on to this campus with a $22 million debt hanging over our heads. And it was hard times. And the church leadership had to make a really tough decision. And the decision was this. We're going to have to fire some people. Not because they're not doing a good job. Not because we don't love them. But we can't afford it. And the decision they made that they felt was what the Lord would have them do was they were going to fire one full-time person from every major ministry, of which there were like six and the metric they chose was whoever the full-time person is on any given team, no matter who they are or how good they are, whoever the most junior person on that team that's full-time gets cut. And I was the most junior member that was a full-time staffer on the student ministry, so I just, I got cut. I got fired. I got let go. I no longer got to be in student ministry. And I'm like, but you told me that I would lead the student ministry, and now I don't work in student ministry. But God had a plan. And just like the Israelites working their way through the wilderness, it wasn't a straight line. It wasn't here today and here tomorrow. He had a journey for me to go on. And that journey started with me being let go from the student ministry staff, even though everything in my flesh was like, no. Well, I didn't get fired from the church as it would happen, 
many people had to lead the communications team. And you guys know I have a little bit of graphic design talent. So the day that I lost my position in student ministry, I just slid over and took over the communications department. In fact, I got a raise, which is pretty bizarre. It just goes to show that God's a provider and he takes care of his people. God took care of all the people that lost their job that day in one way or another. But I slid over, so I was still on staff at Wood's Edge, but I was basically like nowhere near student ministry. And the day after I started my communications job, I was very angry at God. Like I I got a, a raise, I got to be doing something I was excited about, but like in my heart, you guys, I wanted to be here with you. I felt it was my dream thing. This is where I belong. And so I prayed about it. And I asked the Lord, why did you move me? What are you up to? Um, I, was, I was wrecked inside. I had nowhere to go but prayer. I want to I use a, a quick little graphic real fast just to underscore what a big deal this is for me. Does anybody ever take those, um, don't show it yet, those online quizzes or social media things? They're like, you know, find out what character of Game of Thrones you are or whatever stupid stuff they do. Well, Brooke loves taking those quizzes, right? She takes like the 90s quizzes or, you know, presidential quizzes and she rocks them and she loves them. But she sent me a text this week, I think it was Thursday, and she doesn't usually say this, but she's like, take this quiz now and here's a link. And I'm like, okay, you're the boss, you know. We know who wears the pants in this family. So I took the quiz and it was, uh, what's your worst nightmare scenario, right? And this is what I got. My worst nightmare is, based on, you know, the interweb, is to give up on my dreams. You are motivated and inspired by your dreams. The thought of not being able to get up and do what you love every day terrifies you. I don't know if that's my worst fear. I think my worst fear is probably a little more ingratiated with something bad happening to Brooke or my kids, especially if it's like my fault, Um, not being able to provide for them. But I read that, and I laughed at it, and was like, this is stupid. But the more I looked at it, I was like, how does Facebook know that? Because this is pretty true, you guys, for me. I want to do what pleases the Lord. I want to do what the Lord has for me. And the Lord said, you're going to lead the student ministry. And according to this right here, so my dream is to lead the student ministry. And if I can't do my dream, it's my nightmare. So like polar opposites. In fact, I dreamt last night, not surprisingly, just before I woke up this morning, that I was back in real estate. I was walking around in a suit in 110 degree weather, Texas, trying to sell people houses. I did that for seven years before student ministry, and I hated every day. It was a nightmare. And last night I dreamt about it, and I'm like, thanks a lot, God. I woke up and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I never have to do that again or go to school. All right, take that away. So I asked the Lord, You told me I was going to lead the student ministry, and now you've completely allowed me to be moved off the team. And I'm like, was it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Did I I not have the right heart? Like, what's going on? And I did the only thing I could do. I went to the Lord, and I said in my prayer, what do you, I was angry at God, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say to me about this? And he leads me to this passage in the Old Testament. It's four pages, Habakkuk chapter 2, just this little bitty short story, little book in the Old Testament. He leads me to Habakkuk chapter 2, and there's this guy, Habakkuk, and he too has a complaint against God. And he brings his complaint to the Lord just as I was doing that morning. It opens up, it says, Habakkuk's talking about himself, says, I will climb up to my watchtower, right? And I will stand at my guard post. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says, and how he will answer my complaint. Habakkuk, resolute, goes to his watchtower, and he says, I am not moving. I am standing right here until you answer me. Why did you let this happen? I've got a complaint against you, God. Answer me, and I'm not going anywhere until you do. And I'm reading that, that first sentence, and I'm like, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I've got a complaint, and I want to know, what's the deal? Well, God answers him, right? He says this, the Lord responded, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The first thing I take from that was this, God answered Habakkuk about Habakkuk's complaint, and yet he's saying, what you're asking me about actually affects a lot more people than just you. 
Do you know that the prayer, the thing you're waiting and hoping for, affects a lot more people than just you? That's very interesting. It's something for you to remember. You're having those dark nights of the soul going, why God? There are other people involved in your life, in your ministry, at school. It's not just about me and you. Write down a message, other people, etc. This answer to prayer that I'm giving you, it's for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. And if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. I love that right there. If my answer to your prayer, which affects a lot more people than just you, seems slow in coming, wait patiently. It will surely take place because, P.S., I'm God, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It will not be delayed, even though I'm thinking, clearly this is delayed. What I think of when I read that is I think of Jim Carrey in The Pet Detective, right? This awesome one-liner that I've never get out of my head since I watched that movie, but he goes down to inspect the dolphin. Has anybody seen The Pet Detective? Okay, some of you. Anyway, he says, if I'm not back in five minutes... Just wait longer. You guys, that's how God is. God, who is rarely early in answering prayer, but never late. God is rarely early, but he is never late. If I don't answer your prayer when you think I'm supposed to, just wait longer. Habakkuk, God said. Justin, God said. Student, God is saying. Look at the proud Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, in their timeline, in what they think is best. And because of that, their lives are crooked. But the righteous shall live by faith. Justin, do you really believe me that I'm going to answer that prayer? Do you really believe me I'm going to give you what I said I was going to give you? Then shut up and sit down and be still. Enjoy the job I gave you, the wife that I gave you, the child that's on the way that I gave you. Be still, be patient, learn how to wait because you're going to be around this planet, God willing, for 80, 90, 100 years. You need to learn how to wait. Justin, you need to learn how to wait. And so I sat down and I started waiting. So year one of waiting, I had to wait a year and I'm getting fidgety every day. Every morning, even though I got this amazing answer to prayer in front of me, I'm like, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? And God's like, look, I already told you to wait. I'm not going to say anything else. I already answered you. Wait. But I'm like going to him every day. Is it today? And I'm walking through my whole day every day. And I'm just like, I got work to do. I got things to enjoy. But I'm just like, is it today? Where's the answer? Where's another answer? And nothing. I'm just waiting. Year number two. I'm kind of like, I wonder if it'll be today. Is it today? Is today the day that you're going to change everything? You're going to do what you're going to do? Still no answer. Year number three, I finally kind of found some peace. And I finally started to accept and believe what I think God was trying to teach me the whole time. I will make this happen for you, Justin. If you just go and snatch that job for yourself, which I wanted to do, you don't know how much I wanted to just march into Pastor Jeffwell's office and be like, God told me this job is mine. Give it to me. I don't even care. What happens to my friend? What a horrible way to try and take something, even though God said it was mine. I mean, did David do that when God said, David, you're the next king of Israel. You're, the next, you're, you're my guy. And David's like, awesome, I believe it. But there's Saul. And David had opportunities to kill Saul, who was a bad king, who turned from the Lord. But David was like, I ain't gonna do that. I'm gonna let God do it on his timeline. And that's where I found myself in year three. God, you're God and I'm not. I will wait for you. Because I would rather receive this from you than take it for myself. You go out, you want something, and you just take it for yourself. You know what you do? You end up feeling like all of America. I feel like there's a spirit over our country. We came to this country and we took it from the Indians. Killed them, slaughtered them, watched them die of the plague that we brought. Is it any wonder that in this day and age, still today, we're looking over our shoulder just wondering, who's going to come and take my stuff now? Because that's what we did. I don't want to take. I want to receive from the Lord. And sometimes to receive, you've got to wait. And so I started waiting. In year number three, I finally started to get it. God's God and I'm not. 
And through that time, he started teaching me, like really opening my eyes to what it is to wait, be patient. Um, not self-righteousness, but righteousness in the Lord. He was preparing me. Because the other truth about all this is, if I had gone and just taken that job when I wanted it, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready. I didn't have what I needed to lead this ministry, to lead my team, the small group leaders, and you guys. I would have taken it, and I might have gotten it, but I would have crashed and burned. I would have probably quit, burned out, or gotten fired. Because I know this is my job. I know this is what the Lord has for me. I'm here for a reason. And there are days that I'm like, I want to get out of here. These guys are driving me bananas. I ask them questions, they don't say anything. I preach on this, and they do the same, the opposite. They're like, it's tough being a pastor. It's tough in receiving your dream. Like, be careful what you wish for. You might get it kind of thinking. But this is where God has me. And when he finally gave it to me, he gave it in a way that I knew it was from him, where if I had taken it for myself, I would have robbed him of the opportunity to give it. So June of the third year of waiting for the Lord, but finally waiting patiently, I'm sleeping. And I have a dream where I'm at church and there's all this hullabaloo and fuss and people are upset and things are going on and the student ministry is where the dream's happening, like in this building. And my friend, Kent, who was the lead student pastor, in the dream, he is quitting his job. He's retiring. He's like, I don't want to lead the student ministry anymore. I want to go do this. And the parents are like, who's going to lead our kids? Who's going to teach them about Jesus? And the elders are like, I don't know. And then my boss and my other boss, Kevin Henson and Bill Wheeler, they come to me in the dream and they say, Kent has retired. Do you still want to lead the student ministry? And I was like, yes. And then some other cool stuff happened in the dream. I woke up and it was one of those dreams where I'm like, oh my, did that just happen? Like, whoa, I was rocked by that dream. I woke Brooke up and I'm like, I just had this dream and this happened and we prayed about it. But I just laid it down after that. I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe God's gonna do something. But at this point, I'm like, but it could be five years from now. I don't know. Maybe God's just encouraged. I don't know. But in my dream, my two bosses came into my office and said, do you still want the job? And I said, yes. And they gave it to me. Two hours later, I'm in my office in Portable 6 right across the way doing my work in communication stuff and Bill Wheeler and Kevin Henson walked into my office and said, Kent, quit last night. Do you still want to be the lead student pastor? And I was rocked. I started crying and they're like, oh, he doesn't want the job at all. <laughs> I said, oh my God, you guys, I just had this dream and they're like, oh, he does want the job. And even still, I didn't get it for months after. Like, they gave it to me, but they said it was interim. Like, all these conditions, because I was untested leading a home. Like, all this stuff, but like that dream. And then the next day it happened, I was like, God gave that to me. And had I not waited well, I would have missed it. Students, what are you waiting for in this life? What do you want? What do you hope for? What are you praying for? What do you feel like God has just forgotten that I even asked? Or maybe you forgot you asked. What's that thing that you really desire with your whole heart and soul? Do you want it bad enough to wait? Do you love God enough to sit down and watch and see what he's doing behind the scenes? There's so much more to answer to prayer than here, there you go. God's not just some little magic box that you crank and then the gift pops out. He's doing stuff that we can't even imagine behind the scenes, necessary for us to receive well. I'm gonna cruise through super fast four gleanings, four learnings that I took for myself in the waiting. Whatever you're waiting for, maybe all four of these will speak to you, maybe only one, but listen up because in this life, we must wait and wait well. We need to know these things. Lesson number one, God knows best. Jeremiah chapter 29. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Who knows the plans? Do you? Do I? Do your parents? No. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And they are plans for, a, for good things, for a future. I have plans not for disaster, but to give you hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. God alone knows the 
best possible life that's available to you. No one else does. If you're asking the internet or quizzes, no offense, Brooke, or, you know, depending solely on your parents' best advice or your guidance counselor, those things are great, except for the quizzes. But you need to be asking God because he alone knows the best plan for your life. And I love, he's not saying, go do this, go do that, go earn. He's saying, go to me in prayer. Lesson number two, there's more going on than meets the eye, right? There's more going on in your life and in the spiritual realm than you can see. Daniel chapter 10. I love this passage. You've probably heard me preach on it before, but this is epic. This is huge. And this happens, not just back then, today, now, probably happening with some of you in this room. Daniel has a complaint, just like Habakkuk did, and I do, and some of you do. And Daniel has been praying for 21 days straight with no answer, but he's still praying. That alone is enough. That enough, that right there preaches. Have you ever prayed for something for 21 days in a row? I don't know if I have. But Daniel did, and he's an example. He's in the Bible for a reason. The dude's praying 21 days, and this angel shows up in his bedroom, scares him so, so bad he falls over like he's dead. And the angel said to him, Daniel, and student, I am saying this to you from God's lips to your ears right now. You are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. And stand up, for I have been sent to you. When the angel said this to me, I stood up, though still trembling. And then the angel said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. Since the first day you prayed, God heard what you had to say, Daniel. I have come in answer to your prayer. So Daniel, first day he prays, God says, and he's, this is Gabriel, Gabriel, the angel, I believe. Gabriel, go answer Daniel. And Gabriel's like, all right. And he sends him out. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Let's rephrase. Daniel, God sent me to answer your prayer, but for 21 days I have been battling a demon that's been keeping me from getting to you with your answer. Do you know that that happens today? Do you know that has happened for you? You have prayed for something and God said, angel, go, answer the prayer. And the devil, who is the Lord of this world until Jesus comes back, has Angels and demons and icky things all over the place. There's, they're assigned to Houston. They're assigned to your street. They're assigned to you. And they're keeping. They're doing. There's more going on than meets the eye. For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, can't even imagine what he must look like, came to help me. And so I left him there with the spirit prince of Persia. And now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. Daniel had a complaint. He prayed to the Lord. The Lord answered him day one, but the messenger got delayed. You may have an answer to your prayers right now that's on the way, but the spirit prince of Houston or Tomball or whatever, they're fighting. They are battling like they are going to town on each other. Don't give up. Keep praying. What if Daniel had said, you know what? He didn't answer me. I'm done and just left, just quit his job, just said, I'm out of here, just said, I don't believe in God anymore because he didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted it. He would have missed out, but he kept praying. What are you praying for? Keep praying. I actually have a picture I want to show you to underscore that point. 10,000 things. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. You guys, we don't see everything going on. We don't know everything that God knows. God has got so much awesome stuff, all for your good, going on behind the scenes. And we may be aware, may be aware of three. Trust the Lord. We're talking about waiting on God. You know what we're really talking about? Do you trust him? 
Will you wait for him? Will you bend a knee to what you want for what he wants? All right, number three, stay focused in the waiting. You don't have to wait just biting your nails and stomping around and getting agitated and lashing out and giving into temptation because you're not getting what you want. God has been clear. He's been explicit. We're supposed to focus on something specific in the waiting. It says this, don't freak out. Instead, bless. That's your job, student. That's my job. That's your job, Bailey. That's your job, Kaylin. Bless. That's your job. Be a blessing, and you will get a blessing in return. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil. Cultivate good, which takes time, by the way. God looks on this with approval. And he listens and he responds well to what he has asked. But he turns his back on those who turn their back on him. If you're asking God for something, even if his answer is no, but you haven't heard that yet, received that yet, and you turn your back on him and you're like, whatever, you didn't give me the girlfriend, you didn't give me the boyfriend, you didn't give me the car. If you turn your back on him, he'll turn his back on you. Because why is he going to bless us so that we can glorify him when we're like this? Focus on the good. If you're waiting for something, keep yourself busy and be a blessing. There's nothing like rewriting our endurance like being a blessing for somebody. When I go out of my way to bless somebody, it just changes the whole theme of my day. And it gets me out of my head and out of thinking about my problem or what I want when I put my focus on being a blessing to you guys. And you can do that too. There are people all around you that would love for you to bless them in some way, shape, or form. Last lesson, 2 Peter chapter 3. The point here, we're not the only one waiting. We feel like it's the end of the world when we're waiting. You're not the only one waiting. 2 Peter chapter 3. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. This is a New Testament book. This is at the end of the New Testament. This is one of the last pieces of scripture written. Listen to what it says. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. God doesn't measure time the way that we do. God's outside of time. God's bigger than time. We're like, man, it's been five days, and God's like, you just asked. Take it easy. Take it easy. Nobody's going to giggle at my natural Libre reference? Come on. Thank you. The Lord is not really being slow about his answer to your prayer, as some people think. No, he's being patient. He's waiting for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The Lord is not being slow about answering your prayer. He's being patient. He's waiting on you. He was waiting on me. I wasn't ready to lead no matter how bad I wanted it. You're not ready for that guy. You're not ready for that girl. You're not ready for this, that, or the other. He's waiting. But he's waiting for a much bigger thing on a much bigger scale. Why hasn't Jesus come back and wiped out ISIS? Why hasn't Jesus come back and gotten rid of these two buffoons running for president? Why hasn't Jesus come back? I'll tell you why. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. He's waiting for as many people as possible to bend the knee and say, you know what? I don't care what's going on in my country or my government or whatever. I mean, it matters, but God's more important. What he wants, his glory, his happiness is more important than me getting this thing. And I'll ask a question just to get you guys reengaged for a second if you're not. If God came back in the next five minutes, if Jesus came on the clouds the way he's going to, like, it's not going to be any question. He's going to show up and the whole world's going to be like, oh, crap. Sorry for saying that. But he's going to show up and we're going to know. If he showed up in the next five minutes, would you be okay? Are you comfortable? Are you confident that you would go to heaven? Because if you're not, that's why he's waiting. He's waiting for you to get it. He's waiting for you to bend that knee. He's waiting for you to share with the people that only you can share with. 
Only you have the relational capital to talk to them about who Jesus is. He's waiting for you and me. I got people in my life. I'm not sharing with them the way that I should. He's waiting because he wants those people to have a chance too, just like you've had a chance, which is the only reason you're in this room. Somebody shared Jesus with you in some way, shape, or form. Look what's happening in Malawi and think about what it is to wait. Do you know how long God has been waiting for this revival to take place in Malawi? He's been waiting for generations. These chiefs that gave their lives to Jesus two months ago, these 1,000 chiefs that came to that conference and said yes to Jesus and no to Satan, that's epic. That's unheard of. Not in the history of the country of Malawi have these chiefs given their lives to Jesus. I mean, these guys, I I said it last week, but I, I didn't do it justice. You can't be a chief unless you perform rituals of the occult, unless you're into witchcraft, unless you kill people as sacrifices, unless you worship the devil. These people, 1,000 of them in a day came to Jesus. Epic. Show me my video of one of the Africans talking about how big a deal this was. The same passion. (laughs) First and foremost, I thank God for what you are doing. For it's not something easy for a Jewa chief to come to the Lord Jesus. Jewa chiefs are involved in deep, deep demonic issues. But for them to leave that and come to the Lord Jesus, it is something very special, very peculiar. And to see one chief giving his life to Jesus, I'm telling you, it's a joy to the whole nation. Wow. It is something remarkable. Amen. And I thank God. Yeah. All right. And you're, and you're Che with that. Same question. I, guys, <laughs> it's a remarkable thing that even one of these guys, these demon-worshipping, murderous, God-hating people gave their life to Jesus. And yet, they came to this conference that your church, this church, hosted. God's been waiting for this church to host that conference. God's been waiting for those chiefs to be invited. Nobody invites those people to church because they're scared of them. Churches aren't allowed to witness in the villages because they're like, if you go there, they'll kill you. And the chiefs don't allow their villagers to go to the church because if they go to church, the chiefs will kill them. Lives on the line. And yet this conference that your church felt God said, put this on, that God has been waiting for us to initiate these conferences felt led to invite these 2,000 chiefs, and they don't even know, will they show up? And if they do, will they try to kill us? We don't know. But we feel like God wants us to do it. And he's more important than us, so we're gonna put our lives on the line. And we're gonna say, here's an invitation to you 2,000 killers that hate us to come and let us love you for a weekend, talk to you about Jesus. And those chiefs came, and 1,000 of them accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior that day. And as a result, they would go back to their villages and preach the gospel to 200 people per village at a minimum. And village after village after village would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And now, two months from the day, 250,000 believers in Malawi. It's a revival. It's life change. It's transformation. And God has been waiting for all these things to line up. And these people have not just come to faith, they're coming to faith. It was 200,000 just a couple weeks ago, and now it's 250. Why? Because those people are sharing with their friends. They're sharing with their neighbors. They're putting their lives on the line, their comfort on the line to say, look, I know that you know I'm a killer, but I met this guy, Jesus. This is what I know about him. I mean, I don't even have a Bible to tell you, but like, he's real. He changed my life. He gave me grace. And you might kill me for saying it, but do you want to talk about him? Do you want to pray with me? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And now it's 250. Where is it, where is it today? That's a week old news. It could be up to three. God has been waiting for revival to take place in Malawi. And our church had something to do with that, which means you had something to do with that, which brings us to the more poignant moment of this. These people don't have any way to learn more about Jesus 
because they don't have any Bibles. And so God was waiting for me, Justin Ulmer, to hear what he's doing in Malawi, one of Woods Edge's focused countries, so that I can come to you and say, for the month of October, every dollar that you bring for tithe and offering, we're going to use to buy audio Bibles for these villagers. And you have raised enough so far for 72 of these proclaimers, which means 72 villages with 200 people in each village now have access to the living word of God thanks to you. God was not just waiting for like Jeff Wells to be born, for Woods Edge to start, for Tim Martin to be hired, for the conferences to be hosted. He was waiting for you to respond and say, I will give my money for your sake, for your cause. 17,000 people. That's how many people we've provided the gospel to thanks to your giving up to today. You guys, God is doing something in Malawi and he's doing something here. The two prophetic words that we have shared with you the last three weeks, the revival that God, that, that Wood's Edge has been praying for is going to start. Where? Where? Here, this room, this student ministry. And the second prophetic word that just came two weeks ago at a prayer service, Wood's Edge is going to be part of something for the Lord that's going to go around the world. It's already happening. You have affected people you will never meet on the other side of the planet. And revival's taking place in Malawi and Africa's next. Oh, that should fill you with such excitement. God has been waiting to do that for them and he's been waiting to do whatever he's about to do for you and me and us. We're gonna pray and we're gonna respond to the heart of this message. And I would appreciate it if you guys would go ahead and bow your heads now. This last spiritual discipline of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, wait on the Lord. That's what we're talking about. What does that mean? It means you have acknowledged or you need to acknowledge God is God and I am not. God knows what's best for me and I don't. You accepting in your heart, God wants to bless me. God answers prayer. God is moving. The revival has started. Waiting on the Lord means you acknowledge the sovereignty of God. He is greater than we can imagine. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. A day for him is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. How can I even get my mind around that? He is so awesome and beyond what we can think or imagine. And so is his love for you. So are his blessings for you and this ministry. I'm gonna ask you to do something I, have, I don't know that I've ever asked you guys to do and you don't have to do it. And maybe you're not able to do it because you got a bum knee or something, but... We got a couple ways we're gonna respond today and I'll get to that in a minute, but response number one is simple. If you are willing this year, as many of you have already declared you are, to work for the Lord, to wait for the Lord, to put him first, I feel like what God is asking me to ask to you is, are you brave enough to simply right now where you are, just slip out of your chair and take a knee? Because your posture and my posture matter to God and our bodies broadcast our soul and he is looking to us today to get on our knees and say you're God and I'm not you're the father and I'm the child and I bow my head before you in love and reverence and awe and say your will be done and not mine take your time, but if that's something God's putting on your heart, you guys, respond. Not out of an act of fealty alone, but like love. We get to be his kids. If there's anything in your heart 
on your mind that you want to talk to God about right now. He is listening. He is ready to send an answer to you. Whatever he's putting in your mind, talk to him for just a minute. Bear your heart to him. acknowledge to you that you are our Father. You are our Savior and our Lord and our King and our Maker. We accept, we embrace, we receive the the beautiful knowledge that you love us. Would you help us be more aware of your love? Would you enable us to share your love? Every single one of us in this room need something from you, Lord. It may be acceptance. It may be affirmation. It may be just a hug. But would you meet us where we are right now and encourage us? Would you meet every student in this room? Be our daddy today. today and protect us. Be our maker today and reveal what's my purpose on this planet? What's my dream? And and then show me the way forward. Lord, write this sentiment deep in our hearts. You are God. I am not. I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my death. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my past. Jesus, be bigger for us than you've ever been. Be greater for us than you've ever been. Maybe you've just been waiting for us to ask that. Come and be all that you are in every one of our lives this week. In your name we pray. Amen.